Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 31, oh, 133. There's been 133 episodes, <laughs> <laughs> or this is the 133. Episode 133. Thir- yeah, there we go, of Left of Skeptic. <laughs> I know my job. I can do it, I swear. Uh, my name is Brittany Lynn. And I am Kayla Moria. We are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. And we have 132 episodes before this. And 133 now. Yeah. 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 With this conversation. Exactly. Starting us strong. (laughs) Kayla, how are you? I am great. I just got back from a weekend hangout with my auntie. Nice. We went to the Renaissance Fair. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then I got a brand new top for my Renaissance Fair outfit. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. gorgeous. I spent way too much money. Obviously, you have to take pictures of it because every every time, okay, Kara and I have been having the conversation about girl math on Twitter. Oh, I don't need girl math. <laughs> You're like, no, fuck it. I, I, yeah, I spent too much money. <laughs> okay, that's what I do. <laughs> I'm aware. I know who I am. I know what I'm about. I don't need girl math to justify it. I'm just good. Okay, okay, okay. So... I spent way too much money at the Renaissance Fair. It is always acceptable to spend too much money at the Renaissance Fair. I mean, it happens once a year. Exactly. And do you even go every year? Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. And I get a new item. It's tradition. (laughs) I get a new item for my outfit every year. So it's, it's come to be expected. I have acknowledged that. Sometimes other people go with us, but always me and Auntie Becky. We did realize... That it's usually better when like Travis or Sean comes with us because we feel guilty about how much time we spend shopping if oh. we are with other people. Yes. And so we do shop less when there is one other person, but it was just us this weekend, so it was no holds barred. <laughs> I'm gonna buy all the tops. <laughs> <laughs> no, I my bank account could not handle that. Oh um, no, literally. Well, I'm glad you got one really, really awesome one. I got one really, really awesome one. And then uh so it's a lot of time in the car. And then uh last night just hung out with the Shawnee and and had a nice relaxing weekend. That's awesome. How are you? Um, I'm uh, I'm pretty good. good. My fundraiser went really well. My goal was to hit at least a thousand dollars. And I was also going to take into account because some people had brought in like packages of un like unopened packages of period, period products. products. Yeah. yeah, and so I was gonna add the value of those to the total, and I have not done that yet. But just on the money that was raised. $1,055. Hell yeah. So, yeah, I hit my goal. I mean, now I have a goal of 1200 by the end of August. Awesome. Fingers crossed. Uh, you can still make donations on Lifehouse's website. Just do hashtag ellipsis blood money, and that will, <laughs> that will let them know <laughs> that it's for this account. I it's love just that. just for period products. I love that so much. Blood money. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anytime I buy ta- tampons now, that's all I'm going to think of. Blood <laughs> money. Blood money. <laughs> <laughs> so fundraiser went well. It did. It did. Awesome. Uh, last rec show happened on Friday. It was uh, amazingly hot and <laughs> stupid. The show itself was amazing. It was ungodly hot. I was up at the front and I was just like dripping sweat. <laughs> just dripping. <laughs> 
Like my hair was slicked back and it looked like I had just taken a shower. It was gross, y'all. That's not gross. You you expect to get sweaty at a show. Oh, no. This was exceptionally sweaty and it was so uncomfortable. But the music was phenomenal. So and it was, you know, Hillary and I really became friends at the Big Wave Dave shows at the Rex. And, you know, all the so many people I really became friends with because of those shows. And so it was nice to, like, get the gang back together for a little bit. Yeah. Did you see the uh, posting about the Rex on the, like, renter's website? Uh-uh. Basically saying you can rent the Rex now because, or not the Rex, but, like, the Ficker's basement. Yeah. And they have specifically in the description, like, looking for something more upscale. I'm like, you're in a basement. That bar is made to be like college, like sweaty, gross music. That's what that venue is made for. I refuse to accept anything else. Yeah. If you put a restaurant down there, I swear to fucking God, I will never go. I And why would you? It's got a beautiful stage already there. Yep. That's what I'm saying. I know. I know. Anyway, uh, we should probably uh, get going with our stuff. Oh, I suppose. Should we crack into it? We should crack into it. And we're back. All right. So I got I got a weird one. I got a weird one this week. Okay. Because like the debate of what it is goes a little back and forth. Technically, it's classified as a cryptid. Okay. But I don't think it's a cryptid. You think it's an alien? Yes. <gasps> so let's take a little trip back in time. Okay. I love it. It was getting late in the evening on September 12th, 1952. It was almost fully dark, and some friends were playing on their elementary school playground in Flatwoods, West Virginia. As they were hanging out, a bright light streaked across the sky overhead. Edward May, Freddie May, Neil Nunley, and Tommy Heyer watched as the light went over them and appeared to crash into the hillside of the nearby G. Bailey Fisher's farm. There may have been a fifth boy uh, that just didn't want to be cited because later they referenced multiple people that I don't have all the names for. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like they ranged in age from 10 to 16. The boys rushed to go see what happened for themselves, stopping on the way to tell Edward and Freddie's mom, Kathleen May, what they had seen. It was on the way, apparently. Kathleen was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I'll, I'm going to come with you. And so she called on a neighbor, uh teenage National Guardsman named Eugene Lemon, gathered up the family dog and headed with the boys to go check out the scene of the accident. When they arrived, the group saw a pulsing red light. Mm. Jason Burns, who specializes in paranormal stories of West Virginia, told News 12 WYOB, The air was filled with smoke. It was very acrid smelling, apparently. An oily kind of air. And the dog got close to it and just ran away. The yeah, dog was gross. The dog was terrified and not wanting anything to do what, with whatever the ship was or whatever this object was. And as they got closer to it, they noticed there was a figure over to the side of them. <gasps> Lemon had shined his flashlight in the direction of the crash up the hill, and that's when they saw something they certainly did not expect. 
They described this creature as a 10-foot-tall being. Some sources said nearly 12 feet tall. With a head shaped like a spade, and it was adorned with what seemed to be a long, dark, metallic dress. Its hands were twisted and clawed, and its eyes glowed an eerie orangish color. It seemed to be floating just off the ground. And the object itself was glowing reddish and green, though some believe that the color of the grass and the ship may be reflecting off of the metal dress. Mm -hmm. Around it, there was that strange, sickening mist. And they said the creature hissed and glided towards them. Oh, God. And like any normal human reaction to a scene like this, they ran the fuck away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't you have something hissing in the last story, too? What did I talk about last week? I don't remember. <laughs> oh, God. I might have. I feel like uh, something uh, hissed, and it was gross. <laughs> After the encounter, some members of the group claimed to suffer from throat irritation, vomiting, and nausea that persisted for days after the incident. Doctors passed off these symptoms as side effects of hysteria, though my source of Braxton, West Virginia, thought it was important to note that these are some of the side effects of being exposed to mustard gas. Oh, okay. Kathleen May and Eugene Lemon reported their sightings to the local authorities. Local police found no evidence to back up their claims. And that's the first sighting of the Flatwoods Monster of West Virginia. Okay. I'm sorry. How how is this not considered an alien? Because it's considered it one of the, the most sky. common cryptids. It's considered one of the most common cryptids. But or not it, common, uh, well-known. But it came from the sky. It's, it's the whole debate. We'll get to it. Okay. We'll get to it. Okay. So after going to the authorities, like they said, the authorities were like, I don't see any evidence of a something crashing down from the sky or anything mm. like that. But it had gained a little traction, a little storytelling. Uh, the local newspaper even reported on the incident, and there was a newspaper article with the title, Braxton County residents faint, become ill after run-in with weird 10-foot monster. <laughs> the article goes on to state, Seven Braxton County residents Saturday reported seeing a 10-foot Frankenstein-like monster in the hills above Flatwood. They said they saw the monster Friday night when they climbed a wooded hill to investigate reports that a flying saucer had landed. Miss Kathleen May said she and six boys, including a 17-year-old member of the National Guard, started to search for a bright object which her two small sons said they had seen come down. However, state police laughed at the report and said it was hysteria. They said the so-called monster had grown from 7 to 17 feet in 24 hours. The National Guard member, Gene Lemon, was leading the group when he said he saw what appeared to be a pair of bright eyes in a tree. At first, he thought it might be an opossum or a raccoon, but when he shone his flashlight on it, he said he saw a 10-foot monster with a blood-red face and a green body that seemed to glow. Mrs. May said Lemon let out a terrified scream and fell over backwards. I bet he was like, why did you have to tell them that? <laughs> I'm, seven, I'm 17. That 17 year and old And in eagle. the National Guard. <laughs> I did not. I did not. This is a false. I saw nothing, nor did I scream. She said the monster started towards them with a bounding motion. All of the party agreed that there was an overpowering smell that burned the nostrils and made them sick. 
Several of the party fainted and vomited for several hours after returning to town. A. Lee Stewart, co-publisher of the Braxton County Democrat, said that he and several men armed with, and I put incoherent because it was a really bad scan and I couldn't tell what word. They were armed with something. Oh, so you're looking at actual old newspaper articles. Yep. Yep. Armed with incoherent. Something. Returned with Lemon about a half an hour to an hour after the report. They did still report a sickening odor present. He said there was also slight heat waves in the air. Those people were the most scared I've ever seen, Stewart said. People don't make up that kind of story that quickly. Both Mrs. May and Lemon described the thing as having the shape of a man, blood red face, bright green body, protruding eyes, and a hand extended forward that appeared to give off an eerie light. They said it had a black shield affair in the shape of an ace of spade behind it and what looked like a pleated metal shirt. It looked worse than Frankenstein, Mrs. May said. And that's the end of the article. And by that, it, she obviously means Frankenstein's monster. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I hate that so much. <laughs> Not Frankenstein, it's Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> Just trying to be accurate here on Left of Skeptic. <laughs> That's what we strive for, accuracy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when Burns told the story, he said, When they saw the monster or alien, Mrs. May and the children ran off to their home, and she reported it to the authorities. Apparently, the U.S. government sent some men, men in black, to their house who investigated the sighting and took down their witness reports, which apparently all of them were the same. Mrs. May got some of the oil on her dress that night from the ship. They took the dress. They said they would return it. They never did. So I'm not sure about this Burns's report there. Um, it's a bit too tinfoil hatty for me, you know? But I'm I... sorry. It's just really... I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they said they'd return the dress. They never did. She's like, that's from Barney's. I got that at the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> I would be pissed. I know. That's probably why she was like, you better bring that back. It was a lot of money I, out of my budget for sure. But I bought it because how often do you get to go to the Renaissance Fair? <laughs> okay, so tinfoil hatty, like little description there aside. You know I love to believe this stuff. But a few sources, including History.com, did say that the news attention drew some attention from the government. When the encounter moved from local to national news, because Lemon and May were interviewed by CBS News, it prompted the U.S. Air Force investigation as part of Project Blue Book. Oh. So they did, the government did dispatch investigators there that showed up and talked to some people. They didn't take anybody's dress. Um, but. I don't know. Uh, they told the locals there was nothing paranormal about this incident. Okay. The Air Force determined that the streak the boys had seen in the sky was a meteor, which had also been spotted 300 miles away in Baltimore at that very same time. As for the clawed monster with the glowing eyes, it was simply an owl, investigators said. Oh, those descriptions definitely sound like an owl. Well, this is the most famous incident with this creature. There were actually other sightings similar in nature. Um, a few days before the May and Lemon reporting, Miss Audra Harper claimed to have seen the monster while walking through the woods near her home in the town of Heaters. Heaters is about five miles north of Flatwoods. Harper and a friend were walking through the woods to a nearby store, taking a shortcut through the property. 
They were about a half mile into their trip when they noticed a ball of fire on one of the hills that they were passing. So she assumed it was one of her neighbors doing like a controlled burn in the field, mm. which, you know, mm. that makes sense. It's common. And 1953? Controlled burns are always going to be a thing. Like burning stuff to, well, even if you wouldn't have called it a controlled burn, farmers burning shit in their fields, always been common. Yeah. So they were like, whatever, keep on with their walk. And at one point while they're walking, she glanced back towards the fire, and that's when she claimed she saw something unbelievable. The fire was gone, and in its place was a tall, dark silhouette of a man-shaped figure. Okay. They got freaked, and Harper and her friend got the heck out of there. Did he have a shovel head, too? They did not report a shovel head, for sure. They just said there was a tall, dark figure. Okay. See, you say spade. Do you mean spade like the shovel spade? Yes. I only ever think of cards when I hear the word spade. I never think of the shovel. aren't they about the same shape? Not really. Oh. I mean, I think of a shovel spade as like the little garden one, and that's like long and whatever. Yeah. Do you have any photos of what this is supposed to look like? I can show you one. There's... A bunch of drawings. Yeah. Yeah. Does it look like a shovel or does it look like the card spade? The card spade. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad because now (laughs) I can change my internal. I can't believe you've never seen a picture of the Flatwoods monster. I mean, I might have, but I'm sitting here thinking of a shovel head. So (laughs) maybe that's why. Okay, that is gross. (laughs) If that thing hissed at me and then like leaped towards me. mm -mm. (laughs) Also, I remembered it was the Jersey Devil that hissed. Yep, not me. Okay, yeah. Not you. You didn't go around. (laughs) (laughs) On September 13th, the day after the Flatwoods sighting, there was another incident with the creature about 20 miles south near a area called Strange Creek. A couple named George and Edith Snitowski and their one-and-a-half-year-old son were driving through the rural area between Clay and Braxton counties on Route 4 when their vehicle died. George tried to restart the car but had no luck. There were no cars passing by because it was later at night on a backcountry road. And while the Snitowskis were figuring out their next move, they reported a sudden foul, sulfurous smell that filled the air around them. The baby began to cry, and a strange bright light began to illuminate the area around them. And that's when they saw a 10-foot-tall creature hovering in the air in front of their car. They described a similar being as that in the Flatwoods. They did not say anything about the spade shape, but they said it was tall, super tall, and had a strange lizard-like hand claw. They said its head was reptilian and bony. Ew. They reported the creature dragged its claw hand across the hood of the vehicle before drifting away into the woods. As soon as the monster was out of sight, the couple tried to start their car again because, yeah. Yeah, leave. Leave. Let's go now. They wanted to get the fuck out. And it started right up right away. And they sped off. And Snitowski gave his account to Mail Magazine in 1955. So this was a few years after that he reported it. The reports were not present right at the time of all the talking. So, as we've seen with many reports of cryptids, conspiracy theories on what the monster was began to pop up as the story gained traction. They tied it in with other stories around the country at the same time, explained Burns. This was at the stage of the space race, so there was a lot of interest in interstellar crafts. Mm -hmm. The time of Roswell, the time of Sputnik, things that were getting ready to take off. 
So it was at the forefront of people's minds. So people were thinking maybe it was just mass hysteria. Um, Maybe it was fake and made up. But Burns says, I have actually met the maze at one point years ago, a long time ago in Flatwoods at one event. And they are very adamant that they saw what they saw. And I do believe they believe, you know, I believe them. What they say they saw, now what it was, I don't know. Mm. I believe that you believe it. So the more skeptical people that have heard the story say it was likely some kids pulling a prank or like the Air Force said, some kind of wild creature. An owl. An owl, possibly an owl. A well-known UFO enthusiast slash conspiracy theorist from West Virginia named Gray Barker made the story of the Flatwoods monster popular nationwide by writing about the event in several publications. He himself was from Braxton County, so it makes sense that he'd be excited about a story from his own area. Mm -hmm. In 1952, he was living in Clarksburg and working in businesses that had to do with film distribution and film booking, that kind of thing. And so he heard about the Flatwoods incident and was, at this point, this was treated pretty, like, seriously as a mystery. Like, we're laughing about all these joking theories, but they were really trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. So he was like, well, I'm going to go figure out what the heck's going on. So Barker went back to Braxton County to interview people who knew about the Flatwoods monster incident. And the following year, he began his own publication called The Cesarean. S-A-U-C-E-R-I-N. Saucerian. Okay. Is it sus? No, like flying saucer. Oh. (laughs) In 1950s, it wasn't sus. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, short for suspicious. Uh, The first issue was devoted to the Flatwoods monster. And in 1956, he wrote the story again in his book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, which arguably introduced the idea of the men in black to alien conspiracy stories and began popular among U.S. UFO conspiracy theorists across the nation. Mm -hmm. Though whether or not we should take Barker's sources as like super duper serious is up for debate. Uh, Dave Houshin, the special collections librarian for the Clarksburg Library, told WBOY News, Barker worked it. He was not deeply troubled if something wasn't that true or was being presented as fact. He was very permissive that way. He did a lot to publicize it because he said that they used it as his springboard to becoming a more or less respected UFO researcher out on the fringe. Oh, geez. Who does that remind me of? Maybe a Sir Zach Baggins? (laughs) (laughs) Douche Baggins and Douche Barker. Yeah. See? They could be friends. In 2000, uh, after doing his own investigation of the case, a gentleman we've spoken of before, speaking of douchebaggins, uh, Mr. Joe Nickel from the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, he came to the conclusion that the bright light seen on September 12th of 1952 was likely a meteor. The pulsating red light seen by the group could have been a hazard beacon or a aircraft navigation light. And the night when the bright light was seen, uh, the meteor was observed in the states of Pennsylvania, Maryland, and West Virginia. So the monstrous creature itself was most likely to be an owl. This is what he said, too. That was magnified due to the shadow. According to Nickel, the perceptions of the witnesses were distorted due to their high level of anxiety. 
And this explanation would certainly fit with the clawed hands and glowing eyes and the appearance of floating. As an explanation for this actually seems reasonable. If you're freaked out, some owls are fucking huge. Have you seen how big a barn owl gets? Yeah. But that does not really explain the smell. Right. The fireball, the smoke seen on the ground combined with the sulfurous smell that all three. And also this only explains the Flatwoods incident. It does not explain Audra's incident or the next day with that couple in the woods. Okay, but also, also, this is in the 1950s. Were the flashing red lights on planes even... Even around then? He's not saying it's like the flashing light on a plane. He's not saying it's a crashed plane. He's saying it's like a beacon, like a hazard beacon. Those have been around for a long time. Okay. It's like to catch, like when something does come down, it's supposed to catch your attention. Okay. And then also along with that other couple, like, so it doesn't explain the other two incidences, but it really doesn't explain the Snitowskis seeing something with a reptilian head. Like that doesn't explain it at all. Today, the Flatwoods Monster is considered the second most popular monster in West Virginia, next to Mothman. (gasps) Mothman. The monster goes by a couple of other names, including the Green Monster and the Braxton County Monster, or Braxy, as some of the locals affectionately call it. Oh, it's just Braxy. (laughs) Although the monster, or monsters, if the idea is that it's alien and possibly could be multiple has not been seen since the original incidents in 1952. Its impact on the rural community has been huge. When we talk about Flatwoods, this is like a town of 300 people. Oh, that is... It's tiny. Yeah. So these stories have become an eerie folktale for the area, creating a fascinating culture in these small towns around it and in the whole county. The city of Flatwoods has a Flatwoods Monster Festival, There is an ice cream shop called The Spot, which opened in Flatwoods, offering a photo op with a painted iteration of the monster. There is a museum called the Flatwoods Monster Museum, which opened in 2018. Also around the county, they have five huge chairs built and painted in the monster's image that have been erected. Uh, Fallout 76 has a Flatwoods monster in it, apparently. I never played it, but so I don't know how they portray it, but it's in there. And if you want to visit the museum, there are tons of souvenirs to pick up. The most popular being ceramic monster lanterns. The first monster lanterns were produced in the 1960s when Sutton resident John Gibson came up with the idea as a fundraiser for the Braxton County Jaycees organization. We wanted something for the county, so we got some monster molds and made and started producing the lanterns, Gibson said. Gibson, now in his 80s, grew up in the Sutton Flatwoods area and was good friends with Neil Nunley, who was among the boys. Yeah. Gibson described Nunley, who has since passed away, as a popular student at the local high school, where they were both freshmen in 1952. He believes Nunley, and the others did see something extraordinary, according to him. Gibson said that in stark contrast to Nunley's usual talkative self, He would clam up and get serious whenever any of his classmates tried to ask him questions about what he saw on that ridgetop. If you asked him about it, he would turn around and walk away, Gibson said. And I think that's the most telling statement about this incident, because if you were a popular freshman in high school, 
Mm, yeah, and boys, they're always like, oh my God, let me tell you. And if those really made up for all the attention in the news spotlight, you think he'd want to talk about it. Right, it keeps him popular. Yep. Or you risk your popularity by looking like somebody who is talking about aliens and is a weirdo. Trust me, I know. Um, (laughs) Freddie and Ed May are still alive. Okay. And they stand by their story. They are in their 70s now, and they no longer talk to reporters. Andrew Smith, the gentleman who runs the Flatwoods Monster Museum, said they got tired after about 100,000 interviews. Um, yeah. But the brothers did appear in a 2018 documentary called The Flatwoods Monster, A Legacy of Fear. And in the video, teasing the show, Freddie looks calmly into the camera and says, as far as myself, it doesn't matter to me whether people believe or don't believe. Even though there haven't been any sightings since 1952, you could still go check out the area for yourself. Maybe in September. Because even though it's been over 70 years, some people say that around the anniversary of the event, you can hear a hissing or smell a metallic or sulfurous smell near the forest edge of the Flatwoods. So I got two questions for you. Okay, I'm making a face. My response (laughs) is a face that no one can... No one can see. So the argument always being that, and from what I'm seeing in like little things, is most people are like aliens. Yeah. But a lot of people are like, no, like it seems cryptid-y and that yes, if we're going to go with the meteor that everybody else saw and it just happened to lead them in this area where it is, like maybe it is a cryptid. Like a, because, you know, Appalachia has a ton of, yeah, but like weird the, stuff. The metallic clothing. Yeah, and that's where it's like it's up for debate. So the first question I have for you is cryptid or alien? Alien. Okay, me too. But mm-hmm. I also have a pension towards aliens. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. I, however, think this is obviously yeah. obviously an alien. alien. I don't understand why people think it's not an alien. That's so weird. And my second question for you is on a scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what are you going to give the Flatwoods monster? I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go four. Okay. Okay. I think that there are too many consistencies for three groups of people that did not know each other. That's true. Although one of those groups didn't report it until later. years later. But still. And then, but then the other thing is that person also... Like, it changed a little bit. Mm. And I don't know. I just don't think that that's anything that he could have really gained from it. Because at that point, it had died down. Oh, yeah. Like, the Flatwoods Monster, we know now, and it's got regained popularity since, like, 2018, when there was the documentary, and then the museum opened, and there was all this other stuff. But it, like, it was really, like, taken seriously for a short period of time, like a year, and then it was done. Oh, and then and then a couple years later, he's like, oh, yeah, I saw it too. Yeah, and then no, there's nothing to I'm be gained. popular now, right? There's nothing to be gained from that. Nothing. <laughs> All right, what do you got for me this week? Uh, well, I mean, I know what you got for me this I know. week. We talked about it last week. But yeah, hold on. Yeah. Oh, let me reposition with my, with my stuff. I said I'd cuddle with my board. I'm going to cuddle with my board. <laughs> All right, so last week I covered the history of the Ouija board. Yeah. 
From the rise of spiritualism in the U.S. to the board-on-board action of the talking board <laughs> the in The board-on-board action. Ha! Bow-chicka-bow-wow. It was weird to have a like a table board on top of another board. Um, and the way in which the Ouija board got its name to the eventual condemnation of the Ouija board due to its quote-unquote connection to Satanism, popularized by the movie The Exorcist, which was released in 1973, and that tells the story of a girl who was possessed by a demon after playing with the Ouija board. A movie that was allegedly based upon a true story. Yeah, that's not true. But this isn't the only story that gives the Ouija board a bad name. Well, yeah, all Hollywood. One of the first being what was referred to at the time as the scandal of the century. Oh, really? That's a bold claim. Mm -hmm. You're saying this is beating, like, the divorce of Princess Di and Prince Charles? Well, at the time, it was the scandal of the century. All right. All right. So back in March of 1930, a woman by the name of Claude, it's fucking French. God damn it. I spelled it out phonetically as Clotilde. Clotilde? Clotilde. A woman by the name of Clotilde was found dead in her home in Buffalo, New York. And although it was originally thought to have been an accident, not long after her death, the scandalous truth came out. Ooh. Okay, so a little bit of a backstory. So, Clotilde was the wife of a renowned French artist and sculptor named Henri Marchand. Henri. Marchand? Henri. It's just a good name. It's a good name. So, Henri and Clotilde, (laughs) who was also an artist in her own right, immigrated to the U.S. in the early 1900s. After earning recognition as a diorama artist through his work with the New York State Museum, The couple and their family moved to Buffalo in 1925, where Henri and his two sons went to work for the Society of Natural Sciences, a.k.a. now known as the Buffalo Museum of Science. Okay. So during the course of his work on dioramas, Henri worked closely with the Senecas, which is an indigenous population who have historically occupied territory throughout central and western New York. And there was one woman in particular named Lila Jimerson, who he became intimate friends with, who modeled for him. That's never good. That's Mm -hmm. never boding well for your marriage. Nope. So now we're back. It was the 6th of March, 1930, and Henri's youngest son had just returned to the family home on 576 Riley Street, where he found his mother sprawled across the floor of their first landing, deceased. And while it was initially assumed that Clotilde, had fallen, resulting in her death. Soon, the medical examiner discovered bloody gashes on her body, the odor of chloroform, and signs of a struggle. J'accuse! J'accuse Henri. Henri. Am I right? The fuck, Henri? <laughs> I assume I'm right when I j'accuse Henri. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. All right. So, not long after the police were on the trail of one Lila Jimerson. The, oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. The one who, who modeled for Henri for his dioramas. The, the, side, the side chick. Yeah, the side chick. Okay. So I'm not exactly sure what led them to her, but to Lila, they were led. 
And during the course of their investigation, another woman named Nancy Bowen was also implicated in the Clotilde death. So what happened was, okay, so Nancy Bowen had recently suffered the loss of her husband, Charlie. Both Nancy and Charlie were Seneca tribal healers. And after Charlie's death, Nancy was on a mission to find out what happened to her husband. Legit. Yeah. In walks Lila Jimerson, who tells Nancy that the wife of this guy, Henri, who she models for, is a white witch. And by this, I don't think they mean like a good witch. I think they mean that she's a white lady and she's a witch. Yeah. Um, And that she had used her powers to kill Charlie. I don't know why she would do that. I don't think she knows Charlie. No, it sounds to me like the side chick trying to become the main chick. Doing some suspicious things. It's sus. It's super sus. Not like a saucer, but like suspicious. suspicious. (laughs) So this conclusion had been drawn when the two women got together to hold a seance with the assistance of a Ouija board. So allegedly they received word from Charlie, quote unquote, they killed me. Okay. Very straightforward. Who did it? The women asked. And the board spelled out an answer, letter by letter, Clotilde. Which, by the way, is spelled C-L-O-T-H-I-L-D-E. I would have never been able to pronounce which that is, in a million years. Which is very specific. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not like, oh, it was Amber. Yeah, or even like Jane. <laughs> Clotilde. Oh, Clotilde, not Clotilde. Anyway. And it added even the killer's address, which it said was on Riley Street in Buffalo. And Lila was like, well, damn, I know her. I model for her husband. This is all just, I mean, this is still just leaning towards, she's pushing that planchet around because she wants the lady gone. I know, I know. So after this, Nancy also received several letters which were signed by Mrs. Dooley that also stated that, Clotilde had hexed her husband out of jealousy because she was a witch. Quote, her witchcraft didn't work so good, so she decided to kill him, one letter said. And soon Nancy was not only convinced that it was true, but she thought she was next. Dun, dun, dun. So one day, Nancy went over to the house on Riley Street and confronted Clotilde, accusing her of witchcraft and of killing her husband. Um, I'm guessing Clotilde was very confused. But in a fit of rage, Nancy Bowen pulled out a hammer and beat Clotilde to death, finishing the job by stuffing a chloroform-soaked paper down her throat. Overkill. I'm saying. So Lila Jimerson was arrested first in connection with the murder. Again, I don't know how they got to her. But then she named Nancy, and Nancy explained the how and why of it all. So Okay. Yeah. Lila was like, uh, I didn't do it. Nancy did it. And then Nancy's like, okay, but let me tell you about what the Ouija board said. And then I got these letters. And she's a witch. She's a witch. So there were two trials. The first one included a lovely little explanation from Henri, where he explained that Lila was one of his many lovers, of which there were too many to count. Oh, my God. What a fuckboy. Yeah, many of whom were indigenous. And it was because it was a professional necessity to seduce them so that they would be willing to pose naked for his dioramas. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
He also alleged that his wife was totally cool with his free love and lifestyle. So it's that's not what this is about. It's definitely. <laughs> However, like at this point, are they trying to like? So are they trying? If am I, are they trying to say like why would she curse? And he's saying like no, she was cool with it. Because in my brain, it's like, obviously, the problem wasn't your wife. The problem was this woman that you seduced and made her think that you really cared. And then she was like, well, huh, I'm going to be your main piece now. Yeah. So I'm going to get my friend to kill your wife yeah. via Ouija board confession from her dead husband, Charlie. I don't think your wife being okay with it is the problem here, Henri. No. No. So... However, at some point in the trial, uh, Lily Jimerson had a medical emergency, a sudden onset of some sort of respiratory condition, which led the judge to declare a mistrial. And although Lila did plead guilty to the second-degree murder from her hospital bed, she later retracted it. And then at the second trial, Lila confessed to being in love with Henri. Surprise. Are we surprised? No, we've been calling it. But she claimed that she had nothing to do with the murder. But that actually Henri was a good suspect because he had confided in her that he was getting tired of his wife. This reads like a really weird, like, TikTok, like, reading of Reddit's Am I the Asshole? Yeah. Like, am I the asshole for getting my friend to murder my lover's wife because, like, he kind of hinted that he was sick of it? And I just wanted to continue to pose naked in his dioramas. You are the asshole. So eventually Lila was actually acquitted. Nancy pleaded guilty to manslaughter and was released for time served. And Henri moved before the second trial even begun. He then married his dead wife's 18-year-old niece. Nope. And was never prosecuted. Nope. Fuck Henri. But don't. But don't. No, he's getting because enough. That's apparently, and gross. You might die. <laughs> I'm saying, or be accused of murder. <laughs> so there are also, of course, stories of people who have used the Ouija board for good, like Pearl Curran, the St. Louis housewife who claimed to have communicated <laughs> with the spirit of Patience Worth, an English woman from the late 1600s, together producing several novels, poetry, and prose. Or James Merrill, who, quote, used notes from Ouija consultations in his 560-page epic poem, The Changing Light at Sandover, which contained messages from W.B. Yeats, uh, friend Maya Durin, and the Archangel Michael. Wow. And even Sylvia Plath would, per poets.org, use an overturned brandy glass as a planchette, and she would occasionally amuse herself with one or two others by holding her fingers on an upturned glass in the ring of letters laid out on a smooth table and questioning the spirits, usually in the form of her spirit guide named Pan. That's a good name for a spirit guide. I thought so too. Quote, many poems are inspired by this process, the two most notable being Plath's Ouija and Dialogue over a Ouija board, unquote. In 1933, a 15-year-old girl from San Diego, California, named Maddie Turley, claimed that the Ouija board told her to kill her dad, which she did by shooting him in the back twice. Was he a dick? Allegedly, the board told her to do this so that her mother, Dorothea Irene Tursley, could, quote, marry a young cowboy. Okay, so we're not, like, 
there's like my brain going like if he was like an abusive father where he like beat him uh-uh. but no it's just like no that's not cool she just wanted to marry a young cowboy but not her she just wanted her mom to marry a young cowboy. yeah so turley's mom who had allegedly been holding the planchet at the time, Oh, insisted that she follow the board's instructions. Both women were arrested, and the dad died in the hospital a couple weeks after the shooting. Oh, I know. That's sus. I know. In the 1970s, one man alleged that his brother committed murder on account of a demon that had been attached to his family since childhood. In July of 1976, Gary Gilmore shot two men to death in Utah. After his arrest, he demanded to be executed for his crime. His younger brother, Michael, later wrote a book alleging that their mother had used a Ouija board when they were young, calling upon a demon in the process. In addition to Gary's crimes, other instances allegedly resulting from the demon's presence are an accident in which one of his uh, mothers, whose name was Bessie, one of his mother's sisters had died, and the other was paralyzed. Ooh. In December of 2007, a 16-year-old by the name of Joshua Tucker and his friend Donald Schalkschlin, Donald, Donald S., <laughs> who was 15, asked a Ouija board if they should become serial killers. Allegedly, the board said yes. And Joshua went on to kill Donald's 13-year-old sister by stabbing her in the throat. Then when Donald's mom, Lori, went to go look for her daughter, Joshua attacked her as well, eventually telling Donald to finish the job. She died on the way to the hospital, and Donald was sentenced to nine and a half years in prison, and Joshua Tuckett received 41. Okay, I don't know how many stories you got left, and obviously I want to hear more. But remember how last week you were like... uh, like, guns don't kill people. Ouija boards, boards kill, kill people. <laughs> I think this is going to show that, no, people kill people, people and kill use people. Ouija boards as an excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. In October of 2006 and June of 2007, an all-girls Catholic boarding school near Mexico City reported a variety of symptoms among their students. These included headaches and difficulty walking, some of which could only walk with the help of their friends, and these symptoms would disappear, then reappear suddenly. Of the about 4,000 students at the school, 512 were said to have been affected. The cause of the symptoms was traced back to a student, Maria, who had used a Ouija board to try and influence the outcome of a school basketball game. Oh, what? What a... What? What? Ouija board bitches are not supposed to like sports. I, know. I thought that was agreed upon. I know. It's like, that's like goth 101. Oh, maybe Maria was betting on the basketball game. Still, bet <laughs> on like the outcome of the student play. Theater kids and goths, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, the basketball game. Mm. Mm. So a local psychiatrist named Dr. Zavala investigated the outbreak and diagnosed it as a case of mass psychogenetic illness a.k.a. mass hysteria. The girl who used the board, Maria. Maria. Why do you keep Maria? <laughs> I have a problem with the name Maria. No, I don't. Like, she, she is not. She is 
Like, it's not that it's a hard name to pronounce. She's just like, specifically this name. Fuck this name. <laughs> this Maria. girl. It's Maria's fault. Because some of them were like trying to. They said the name of the girl in the source, but then they were like, the child responsible. And I'm like, yeah, Maria. It was Maria. <laughs> you already told me. How do you solve a problem like Maria? Obviously, you call upon demons. Anyway, Maria was expelled for using a Ouija board. Yeah. Allegedly before leaving, she put a curse on the school. Maria, come on. Soon soon after the symptoms reappeared and Dr. Zavala reported that the school, even prior to the outbreak, had been a hotbed of tension, which only increased after Maria's fellow Ouija board players (laughs) first experienced the symptoms, which then seemed to spread throughout the school. So she's like, I'm going to get this one person to win at basketball. In all fairness, <laughs> I think that Catholic schools might often be a hotbed of tension. That's part yeah. of what just goes along with Catholicism. Yeah, yeah, the stories weren't great. So this psychologist was essentially trying to figure out like what could have caused this mass hysteria. And I think that her explanation for the mass hysteria was that these kids were so overly upset and tense to begin with that the smallest little thing just they're like oh my god now I'm broken it's like when you are already having a stressful day and then like your pencil lead breaks Ugh, and, and then you're you like freak I, out yeah it's it's just one tiny little thing and it might not seem like much but you're already in that zone so it's ready to go have you ever been having a really bad day and you like walk past like a, a, a drawer or something and you get caught on the handle and then you just start crying. That's like every other day at work for me. <laughs> I was like, okay, she, so she's either going to say, I don't know what you're talking about or this is my life and it's I understand. Every other day at work. But the absolute worst in those scenarios is when you're trying to leave your house and your belt loop hooks on your screen door. Oh, my God. Yeah, because you st- keep walking, and then all of a sudden you're yanked back. Yep. And you're like, I'm going to cry now. And then you throw your water bottle on the ground, and you scream at nothing. <laughs> and then your neighbors are very concerned. <laughs> anyway, so then in 2011, <laughs> a woman named Carol Sue used a Ouija board with her daughter, Tammy, and Tammy's two daughters. Carol was 53 at the time and claimed that the board gave her a message from God. Her son-in-law, Brian Roach, was evil, and he needed to be killed. Uh, what? Yeah, so Carol went on and just stabbed Brian in his sleep, and then after that turned on Tammy's 10-year-old daughter, her granddaughter, and attempted to kill her as well. Oh, my God. So then Tammy wrestled the knife from her mother, and then hid it somewhere in the house. And then somehow Carol got Tammy and her daughters into her vehicle and then attempted to kill them all by running into a road sign. Not winning grandma of the year. No, she does not get that cute mug. Absolutely not. So Carol was arrested, thank you, ruled insane and committed to a psychiatric hospital. Carol, however, though, had no previous issues with drug or alcohol abuse and no history of mental illness, and they could not figure out why she suddenly believed that the Ouija board was sending her messages from God that made her kill her son-in-law as well as her, 
attempt to kill her granddaughter. Oh, my God. Oh, Tammy's God. Oh, Tammy's God. So aggressive. All right. So in 2022, 11 students at the Agricultural Technical Institute in Cato, Columbia, collapsed after playing with a Ouija board. Five of the 11 students, ages 13 to 17, were taken to the hospital after suffering from violent vomiting, abdominal pain, and muscle spasms. The emergency medical coordinator at the hospital said, We went to El Hato and we found 11 patients between 13 and 17 years old with vomiting, abdominal pain, and muscle spasms. We did not find psychological alterations in the children, taking into account that it was said it would have been from playing the Ouija board. The medical report says it was due to food poisoning. Hmm, what seems more likely? And although doctors reported that the children were just suffering from food poisoning, according to Hado's mayor, the children were passed out. At the time they were found, they were short of breath with thick drool coming out of their mouths. It's not ruled out that it was the Ouija board. That is part of the investigation. Others say they consumed water from a container, Others that they came from a pool and had been given something to eat, unquote. I, I, mm. I appreciate the fact that Mary was like, look, it, it could have been a lot of these very scientific reasons, but we are not ruling out the Ouija board. <laughs> this is an investigation after all, and we, gosh darn it, I'm going to cover all, all of the options. It's like how I describe my marriage. Like, why does Sean possibly like me? It could be any number of these things that make sense. We have similar interests. We find each other attractive, any of these. But we're not ruling out the fact that I did a magic spell. <laughs> I might <laughs> I might have cursed him to love me. <laughs> it could be a lot of really obvious things. I, You were a very popular gal. People love you. Sean should love you. Because but, everyone else loves you. But, you know. But it also could have been that magic spell. Yeah. It's just saying. <laughs> You called upon a Ouija board to get the results of the basketball game and to make Sean love you. <laughs> so these were just some of the stories I could find from newspaper sites, uh, Psychology Today, and other online magazines. But I also wanted to end with a couple of Reddit stories. Ooh. Okay. Right, so okay. this one is from Reddit user The Tree Man. Like the Lorax, I guess. I don't know. Hey, I love a good Reddit name. And that, yeah, the Lorax, but it could also be an Ent. Oh, yep. yep, 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 yep. Groot. Or also could just be somebody who likes weed. <laughs> That'd be the grass, man. No. No, 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 no. Like uh, a whole big thing was like people saying trees instead of weed. Oh. To like avoid search things. That makes sense. That makes sense. Anyway, so the tree man says, when I was little, my mom took out a Ouija board and asked my brother and I if we'd like to play with it. It started out pretty funny. Someone was obviously moving the glass thing, making words like poop and stuff like that. Did I mention we were young enough to think that would be hilarious? It's still funny. But then my mom said that we should get serious and let's try and contact someone. Here is where it gets weird. A friend of hers had recently gone missing. He'd been missing uh, for a month or so, and nobody knew where he was. When we asked who it was we were talking to, his name was spelled out. Let's just say it was George, since I genuinely don't remember. When we asked George if he was my mom's friend, he said yes. 
My mom got visibly upset and asked where he was. In a lake was spelled out. It was extremely upsetting, so we stopped immediately. Mom tried to be lighthearted about it, and since I was young, I believed it was no big deal and just followed her lead. About two weeks later, they found George's body. He'd been hit by some car or train or something on the, some bridge, and his body fell into a nearby lake, though it was more like a very large pond. It was a reasonably remote place, so nobody had found it for a while. Sad. That poor mom. Yeah. Oh. Especially when you're with your, like, two young kids, and you're like, okay, let's just, let's just try it out. And then all of a sudden you're like, fuck. Okay. George? Okay. Yeah. Uh, in a lake? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next one is from Arabella. And they say, when I was around 12 to 14, one girl brought a Ouija board to my friend's birthday party slash slumber party. I was pretty skeptical, but I was also really curious about it as I'd never used one before. We took turns asking questions and I figured someone else was moving the planchette. The other girls were pretty creeped out, but I wasn't until it answered a question for me that nobody else knows the answer to. To this day, I can't explain how that answer appeared or any of the other paranormal experiences that happened after we put the board away. I truly believe we contacted something and it stuck around. There were just generally a lot of small things like footsteps from above us. We were on the top floor. The door kept swinging open on its own. And the girl who lived there said it never did it on its own before then. The creepiest part was a bunch of us randomly woke up around four or five in the morning. And a few of the girls saw a black figure walking down the street outside the window. Apparently, one of the girls had seen what they thought was the same figure with his face at the window on the second story earlier in the night. And finally, Reddit user Hammerhands. <laughs> the hammer is my penis. <laughs> penis hands? No. Have you? Dr. Horrible. No, no. What? What? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so we were. Hold on, no, 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 no. We're not. No, no. no we're not going past this. We'll get back to hammer hands in just a second. I'm just saying, you have you not watched Doctor Horrible with me? No. Oh my! But you love me, Kayla. You love me. Teach, teach me your ways. She's with Captain Hammer, and these are not the hammer. The hammer is my penis. Okay, we're going to watch that later. All right, sorry. Yeah, I've no, we'll watch it okay. after we watch those two episodes of I Love Lucy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we were hanging out in my friend's dorm room and busted out the Ouija board. There were a few of us who had used them before and a few who hadn't that were quite skeptical. It was about 11 p.m. and the communication with the board was going quite well. Gary, one of the skeptics, kept calling bullshit to the whole thing. We convinced him to sit on the floor with us and give it a shot. His first question, is this real or just a bunch of bullshit? The Blanchett zipped to no. Fine, he said, not believing. Prove it. No sooner had he finished the statement when the lights in the room flickered and the building's fire alarm went off. Terrible timing. Oh, God. This freaked us all out and we left the room to follow fire alarm procedures. I'm glad they're keeping their heads about it, though. After about 20 minutes, campus safety said it was a false alarm and let us back in the dorms. When we arrived back up to our friend's room, the Ouija board was gone. No one took it with us, and the room was left locked. Okay. He was like, prove it. 
And and the board was like, well, fuck you, dude. I don't need you. It was very fuck around and find out for sure. <laughs> All right. Well, that is my collection of Ouija board stories for you to decide whether or not you believe the Ouija board or if you believe that people kill people. Uh. Uh-huh. All right. That was a weird ending. I'm going to retell my Ouija board story just because it's been a while. Yeah, and you said you were going to tell it this time. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that now before we do the ratings. Um, so I have my beautiful little Ouija board. It's very straightforward. Parker Brothers, uh, late 60s, early 70s. I couldn't find the box. I have it stored somewhere, and I couldn't remember where I found it to get the exact date. Oh, yeah. But so I was at a convention in Minneapolis, a comic book convention. I'd gone with my friend Lara. And... We were just hanging out and we were looking through all the different stalls. There's tons of places that sell old and like toys, figurines, those kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. There was this one that had a bunch of board games. And then they had these board games that were just like tucked into bins. And it was the last day of the con. And we're just looking through everything. And I'm looking through all these cool old board games because I'm a board game geek. And way in the back, tucked in the back, I found this thing. And it just so happened that Lara had been looking for a Ouija board, had been wanting for one for a while. Yeah. And I was like, Lara, check it out. And it was a little pricey. I cannot remember the exact prices, but let's just say, for heck's sake, it was 30 bucks. Okay. I mean, that's much better than the, like, 52 whatever that the original one was. Right, right. Especially considering it's a classic. Right. And it had its old beat-up box, and the board was in there, and... The guy at the booth were like, well, I don't know. Lara's like, it's a little spendy. I don't know that I want to spend that much. Right. For a used Ouija board. Right. And then the guy at the booth was like, hey, anything you buy, I don't have to take back. You can have that for like 10 bucks. Right. That's a, that's a steal of a deal. Because anything you buy, I don't have to haul back with me back to my store. Yep. And he said, anyway, it doesn't matter. The planchette's missing. So we're like, okay, so you're just paying, we're paying 10 bucks for a pretty printed board. Right. Pack up the box. We take it. Lara then later discovers once she gets it home that there is a planchette in there. One of the old, like, plastic, like, light-colored yellow ones. I think they were supposed to glow in the dark once upon a time. Oh, okay. And so she's like, oh, it is in there. And the, like, glass, or I assume it was plastic, but the the part in the center that's supposed to be clear was broken out of it. And it was tucked way in the back of the box like, behind, like, some paper towels and tissue paper and stuff. Okay. Like, somebody was trying to hide it. Weird. Okay. And so that was weird. And then her partner at the time, like, was not down. So she brought it home. He hated it. Right. Immediately. And then she started to get really weird vibes from it. To the point where eventually she goes, I'm not going to have this anymore. Do you want it? Because it did call to you. It did not call to me. It called to you, and I don't want it in my house anymore. Yeah. And so I took it, and it's very happy, and it is how me and my sister discovered the name of Alice. Oh, that's right. The the ghost that haunts me and the podcast. Yes, Alice. Miss Alice. And we say this with the knowledge that as much as I keep saying, oh, I'm not haunted— I apparently have an Alice, though I never interact with Alice. Everybody <laughs> else does. Do. <laughs> She's just around me. So that's the story of my Ouija board. And thank you, Ouija board, for being here with me today. Now, 
for your stories, I have I have two ratings that I'm going to give after your two parter here. Okay. Do you believe that it's an alien? <laughs> um. Do I believe in Ouija boards? Yes. Five. Yes, yes, I do. Do I believe that the stories that you told me today have actually anything to do with the Ouija boards? 1.5. <laughs> I know. I This sounded like an awful lot of people, except for those Reddit stories. The Reddit stories. stories. The Reddit stories that's, were legit. That's why I went 1.5 instead of Nernas. Like the Reddit stories I find believable. Yeah. But all those other ones, it sounds like newspapers using Ouija boards as an excuse for why people do horrible things. Yes. And it's not that your stuff wasn't put well together. It's literally those newspapers making that into their excuse. Well, and then some of the stories were also from psychology today. Mm -hmm. So they were clearly trying to break it down to be like, well, this is some sort of mass hysteria. Yeah. This, yep, isn't, yep, yep. this isn't the cause of a Ouija board. Um, yeah. I uh, Okay. Uh, re the realness. Realness. Ouija boards in general. Yes. Same. Five. And I'm going to do... A two, because I like the Reddit stories. But yeah, I think that this goes back down to the phrase that I just casually threw out last week that Ouija boards don't kill people, people kill people. Yep. And that's what I think. I think that people have found a way to find excuses for doing bad things. Yep. Especially those kids who are like, should we become serial killers? Yes, let's do it. Like, we get it. Your freaky little serial killer brains want an excuse. Exactly, Ugh. exactly. Or, but you know, during Satanic Panic, of course, these kind of stories were what they were like, oh my God, the Ouija board made them do it. That's why Ouija boards are evil. And ultimately, what I think this comes down to is the Ouija board is a tool. Right. The same way that any other, like, the same way that a cauldron is a tool. Lots of different, like, uh, pendulums. A spirit box. Like, everything is a ghost hunting tool. Right. If you assign creeptastic stuff to it, that's on you. Right. Which is why I have used this Ouija board. I don't feel anything creepy about it. It's just a tool that I have at my disposal. Yeah, I still wouldn't, please don't try and call upon demons. Yes, let's be clear. Use all ghost hunting tools responsibly, including the Ouija board. Yes. Now, I think that where, where you have like spirit boxes, uh -huh. those are a lot more, I feel like you could get the tone a little bit better. Yeah. Like this is like trying to read a text versus a phone call. Oh God, that's just the worst. That's what I'm saying. Like, oh, like, like a, a spirit box or something is a phone call. You can kind of get the grasp of what they're going for. Or EVPs, those are like a phone call. Whereas the spirit board, it's like trying to read a text, and you don't get the tone. That's why I think it might be so easy to accidentally communicate with the wrong people. It's just like when people send you that upside down smiley face. What does that mean? It, Stop sending that. It it seems like it's really passive aggressive. I don't like it. It sounds passive aggressive. Like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that later. Upside down smiley face. I'm like, okay, wow. Like this generation wow. of people that are willing to send the upside down smiley face but mock us for using the laugh crying emoji. I know. <laughs> I actually usually get the older generation sending me the upside down smiley face. I think that they use it means like, oh, well. 
<laughs> but I don't. I see it as very passive aggressive. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I have a listener story. All right, let's do it. This week we are hearing from Anne Marie. Nice. We love an Anne Marie story. Hi, Kayla and Brittany. I saw the cutest ghost the other day, and I knew you'd want to hear about it right away. Every time. I was working at the zoo today on a temporary mural on a bridge for an event. Uh, for those that don't know, Anne Marie is an amazing chalk artist. I mean, she's an amazing artist in general, but chalk murals, oh, so good. Like, how? How? I don't even know how people can can make something look so good from chalk. Not just from chalk, in that giant scale. I know. Oh. What? She doesn't even do like the grid pattern No, trick. it's just there. Ugh. Anyway, it was raining off and on all day, so I had tarps and paint jugs to weigh them down out all over. I thought I saw a little creature on the bridge. Being skeptic about it, I assumed my brain was matrixing one of the paint jugs and casually moved as many as I could out of my view and kept working. I kept seeing this little creature out of the side of my vision. It was fuzzy, about two-thirds down the bridge from where I was working, sometimes at the far end, and I couldn't have been more than three feet tall. It mostly stood still, watching me inquisitively. One glance, I saw it kind of hop out of the way, purposefully hiding from my direct eye view. But also, it hopped to a wall on the side of the bridge. At that point, I knew it wasn't a fox or an escaped zoo creature. It was something non-corporeal. I actually kept seeing it most of the day. One time, it even tipped its head to the side at me like a cat does when trying to ask for dinner. But it was always out of the side of my eye, and I never really got a good look at it. I casually wrote to a friend who worked at the zoo. This bridge is totally haunted. I keep seeing a small creature that isn't there. Fox? Tiny goat? It's cute and curious. So strange. I'd forgotten that this is a friend who worked there during their worst disaster, the flood of 2012. <gasps> Quick overview. Overnight on June 19th of 2012, 8 to 10 inches of rain fell suddenly and the whole city of Duluth went from a damp, normal summer night to washed out streets, massive sinkholes, rivers instead of parking lots. We were canning on them. Flood ho flooded homes and it rained inside my house, and a viral social media photo of one of the zoo's seals washed out of its pen and onto the highway. Facts. Yeah. Facts. Yeah. It was wild. Also, that it was Steve's birthday. Uh, that was the day I came back from my first honeymoon. <laughs> oh, like, that's I came not back a to a flood. <laughs> <laughs> like, we got into town, we parked, we put our stuff away, went to go get dinner at a friend's house, and it flooded while we were at our friend's house. Oh, that, yeah, that was a sign. That was a sign. <laughs> anyway, so yes, so the zoo was a massive, like, I'm, this is not part of the story. This is like for the listeners who don't know, the zoo was massively affected by this. It yeah. basically left us without a zoo for a long time. Yeah, a lot of the animals drowned. Yep. So back to the story. Kingsbury Creek, the one the bridge I was on spans over, and the zoo weren't prepared for such massive volume of water. None of us were. This peaceful greenery-filled oasis of a zoo was partially destroyed by that flood. The polar bear was a famous animal to escape his enclosure, but was found by his vet standing on the inside walls of polar bear shores. Nineteen animals drowned that night, mostly residents of the domestic barnyard exhibit area, housed close to the river. 
It was very traumatic for all the people working the zoo, and I immediately felt guilty after sending the message for bringing up seeing a ghost by that river. Oh, I didn't. Oh, no. But she said that she was happy to hear about this ghostly sighting and to think of his happy little spirit. She asked me, which bridge were you on? Because there's a very strong possibility that it's really haunted by Buck, my favorite goat, or one of his brothers. She went on to tell me that he was a goat trained to be the troll under the bridge for the young visitors when they were all taught to be Billy Goat's gruff. Also, I was on the bridge. She first walked him over as a baby coming back from the animal care facility. My eyes leaked a bit reading that memory. A baby goat. He was sadly one of the many who died that night in 2012. He has been seen by other people at the zoo. And I asked her what he liked to eat. And I am packing up my lunch tomorrow with a few of his favorite veggies. If I see him again, I'll offer him a carrot or an apple slice and thank him for being my friend's favorite goat. Thanks again for all the spooky Wednesdays. Bye, Anne-Marie. That makes me so happy. I mean, it's sad that he had to drown. But it makes me happy. That he seems happy. That he seems like a happy little goat. Hanging out there. He gets to play his Billy Goat's Gruff for yeah, all that was, eternity. That was a sad time, but I hope it's just a happy little happy goat. And now I'm going to look out for him. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because I do boo at the zoo every year. I need to do that. It's fun. I go with uh, I go with Corey, and we do it for Twin Ports Horror Society. And I, we're normally near that bridge, so I'm just gonna have to like they they let us like wander around until everything starts and the kids start coming in. So yeah. maybe I'll just go chill. Go bring maybe some I'll, carrots. Maybe I'll bring my Ouija board. It fits the Boo at the Zoo <laughs> theme. But like, I'll be like, "Hey, goat," and it'll be like B A A A A. No, that's like a that's like a sheep noise. What does a goat make? Ah. <laughs> That's a sheep noise. <laughs> uh, if you have a listener story you'd like to submit, you can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com, or you can visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the listener stories tab at the top of the page. You can also click the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you would prefer. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. Also, I think they make a similar noise because I remember growing up, my grandparents had a goat and it would go, ma. And so, so they named M- it ma. It would be M-A-A-A-A-A-A-H. Yeah. Ma. Unless it's one of those weird goats, the screaming goats that were really popular oh, for a while. Oh, the Taylor Swift song. Yeah. All right, tell them where you can, you can find us on social follow. media. You can also follow us on social media. We are on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, I hope you all are staying cool because it's getting close to fall time. It's basically spooky season. So uh, It's always spooky. When's 4th of July ends, obviously, it's spooky season. Yep. What better way than to celebrate than hanging out with us every spooky Wednesday? We love spectacular. We love you and appreciate you. And it's true, we do. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay. okay. Bye.
Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye! Thank you.